Ladies, gentlemen, this is the Always Be Watching podcast. My name is Dan Barris. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Christopher Yates. Chris, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing very well. Pleasure to be here. Now, look, Chris, there's some terms that get banded around with this podcast. Dude fest, sausage party. <laughs> and that's me just trying to sell the idea of people listening to the podcast. That's people, right, yeah. People don't get on board with it for some reason. I don't know. Shrug emoji. But Chris, I thought let's shake things up a little bit. Introduce a lady into the proceedings. A woman. Great idea, Dan. Actually get some, <laughs> get some intelligent you, thought as well. You're really handling this well. Excellent. Oh gosh, I really should plan these intros in better. Mel Tate, friend, buddy, pal, how the heck are you doing? You know what, Dan Barrett, hello. Hello, Chris. I'm so excited to be here and break up this sausage fest. <laughs> I'm really, really excited. It's, it's long overdue. It's an honour. No, real honour. Quite literally for the last, how long have we been doing this for now, Chris? Like a year? Yeah, a bit over a year, I think we worked out. Yeah, like I think pretty much on a weekly basis, I chapped to Mel, actually get her to pop on by the podcast some week. She loves TV. She likes recommending TV. She's the ideal person to have a chat with. And I'm incredibly lazy, have not done it until right now. And we're making this magic happen. This is so great. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> now, just to talk up Mel just a little bit. If you don't know Mel, she's a uh, raconteur, I guess, is probably a correct sort of way to phrase your many dealings. Maybe a hustler. A hustler? <laughs> yeah. That's well, it's 2020. It's all about the hustle. Exactly. Uh, people may know Mel from being a regular ABC radio presenter from around the place. You're a playwright who's had a play like up on a stage. Mm. Like people have paid good money to go and see your work. Yeah, they have. I'm suddenly trying to remember the name of your play. I think I had the word potato in there. Yeah. Would you? I, I've had two plays up on professional two stages. plays. Oh gosh, I should pay more attention. Yeah, the Vegemite Tales was my first play, and the second one was the Appleton Ladies Potato Race, and the third one was cancelled for COVID, Dan. Now, I did know about the third one, but it did not happen, but I missed the first one. And the second, by the sound of things. Well, I didn't <laughs> see the second one, but I knew that it happened. You have to understand, there's a lot of things to watch on TV. Getting out of the yeah. house is not going to happen. Of course. We need to make it happen when theatres reopen, though, Dan. I think your whole world will open and expand, and you'll love it. You'll see the actors spit. You can smell actors. You can smell the actors. Don't you want to smell them sometimes when you're watching them on TV? I mean, yeah. I thought that was just yeah. a Dan thing, though. <laughs> you didn't realise other people felt the same way. <laughs> okay, well, it's really opened my eyes up. Guys, should we talk about some TV? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, well, let's start talking TV by talking about a movie. Chris Yates, you want to talk about a movie that's currently streaming on Netflix. Let's listen to a little bit of audio of Sorry to Bother You. Hey, young blood. Let me give you a tip. Use your white voice. Man, I ain't got no white voice. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. You have a white voice in there, you can use it. It's like when you're pulled over by the police. Oh, no, I just use my regular voice when that happens. I just say, back the fuck up off the car and don't nobody All get right, hurt. man, I'm just trying to give you some game. You want to make some money here? Then read the script with a white voice. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? Now, Chris, I saw this a couple of years ago. You've watched it in the last couple of days. I am fascinated to know how the heck you wanted to talk about this movie without talking about what this movie's really about. I know, that's the challenge. Well, yeah, um, you recommended this to me. And uh, for once, I took you up on your recommendation and actually watched it. 
I'd read a little bit about it and I was a bit familiar with um, the, the director Boots Riley and paid a little bit of attention to the stuff that's been going on there. And um, a very big fan of the main actor, um, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who's appeared in the, um, the Jordan Peele films, but also was the, did a great turn, I thought, as the sort of stoner best friend in Donald Glover's Atlanta. So I was already really sold on watching that guy for an hour and a half. Uh, or two hours or however long a movie goes for. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll jump into it. And I did watch a clip first. I, I took your advice and didn't read anything about it, which I'm very, very glad I did. And I'm going to be conscious of not sort of trying to go down that road, road here. But um, yeah, when I, I watched that little clip, which is the same as what you played, which Netflix just has up as the um, preview, which isn't really preview, just that sort of section of the film. And I was like, oh, right. I hope I haven't ruined it for myself because obviously, you know, the reveal of um, Danny Glover doing the, uh, white voice was very very funny and I thought so I had in my head oh this is gonna you know I've wrecked it for myself already this is gonna be the thing that makes this film interesting and unusual and boy was that an underestimation of exactly what makes this film interesting and unusual yeah so the general like logline for it is essentially that Lakeith Sanfield he's a um, he, he's pretty poor he's living in I think it's his uncle's garage and he's looking for a job. He ends up taking a job working for a telemarketing company, making cold call phone calls, and he gets this advice by the Danny Glover character. They should embrace a white voice, because both of them, you know, well-known African-American men, take on a white voice and you'll be able to sell goods much easier. And he ends up becoming a telemarketing superstar, ends up getting a lot of attention within the business, and it's all thanks to his white voice. Now, in theory, that seems like an interesting enough premise for a movie, but boy, that's just the beginning of things. <laughs> Man. That's like the first 15 minutes of the movie. Um, have you seen it, Mel? No, I haven't. I'm sorry. I haven't. No, that's that's cool. It'll just be, we'll be able to kind of gauge how much we're giving away by what we say. But um, to say it has twists is kind of, yeah, like I said, a real understatement on the actual way that this thing pans out. And um the you know the very basic way that you can look at it, of course is the is the different levels and different layers in which it looks at race politics in america race relations in america and um you know interesting to think that it was done sort of two years ago when you know obviously that's been a big part of the news and over the last year uh or six months even but um you know it's more evidence i guess that it's been bubbling away in the background there but yeah like this was i, I should just you know say i didn't really it's a hard stretch to get me to watch any movie that was made sort of after the year 2000 at the best of times i'm just really not into it so to actually not only get in not only get into this i feel like it's reinvigorated my whole kind of interest in trying to hunt down some more little some more quirky films um even like quirky again a very serious underest serious under description of what this movie is but um yeah, it was just, it was mind-blowing. I really felt like, uh, although it kept throwing, um, although it kept sort of throwing the twist at me, even when I was like, all oh, right, I'm just not going to be able to stop trying to predict what's going to happen in this film. It still was, it still was surprising. And um, the other thing about it is that it tackles all this stuff in very serious and very kind of interesting ways. And like I say, looking at it from a lot of different angles that you can't really even properly reflect on, I think, until the movie's finished and you sort of sit back and take a breath and go, holy cow, what did I just see? But um, it's it's funny, you know, like it's really, really funny. There's laugh out loud stuff all the way through it. And it's not sort of done in this, um, uh, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's really uh, pushing its agenda or it doesn't feel like it's pushing a political message on you. It just It's just using this crazy format of this film to sort of 
make you think about it in heaps of different ways, which I think is a very uh, challenging thing to do when you're trying to make a movie dealing with this kind of stuff. Why did it not make much of a ripple at the time it came out? Or did it and just I was doing something else? Okay, so in Australia, I don't think it got a cinema... It got a cinema release maybe about like four or five months after it came out in the US. So the release here, literally it was like dumped into maybe a couple of dendy cinema screens, like down, like the low numbers at the back of the theatre where people don't really sort of go down there that often. So I didn't really get much of a cinema release here at all. I think it sort of barely got a bit of a US release, but I honestly think if they'd released the film after Jordan Peele's Get Out, I think yeah. suddenly people would have paid attention to this and it would have done gangbusters. I kind of just don't think that the marketplace, that audiences were really quite looking for this kind of movie, nor do I think that people really knew how to frame it. There's a line that Jordan Peele used talking about Get Out, and I'm I'm trying to remember exactly what it referred to it as, but he said something about how Get Out was a socially conscious horror film. The socially conscious horror, I think, was the genre yeah, he was trying yeah, to use. Yeah. It was some sort of line like that. And I think this film falls exactly into that category. And it feels very much a piece with the two Jordan Peele films being Get Out and Us, which both are really good films, but I don't think either are nearly as brave as I think Sorry to Bother You is. Because this is such a searing indictment on... Um, essentially racial politics in the US mixed in with how that's engaging with commercialism, the overall sort of capitalistic nature of how society is structured. Like it goes to some yeah, pretty totally. wild, very complicated areas in ways that I don't feel comfortable talking about just now. Yeah. And the, and the sort of the focus on the corporate side of it as well is really interesting. And, um, you know, it, specifically the sort of tech, the tech bro corporate millionaire, uh, billionaire kind of ideas as well, which are just, which are not shoehorned in in any way, but are, are in fact kind of crucial to how the rest of the, not just the story, but also the ideas are talked about. I think uh, one of the main reasons I think it was probably hard to gain traction is because it's hard to talk about. Like you, you can't really, the best thing about the film you definitely don't want to reveal. And it's also something that, um, you know, makes it harder to kind of recommend maybe yeah and i mean i think that a lot of the conversations people were having about race weren't necessarily as sort of exciting and topical when the film came out so this is maybe about like four years ago actually no a bit longer than that i think i think obama no was no it still... was 2018 i think it was 2018 okay we'll say 2018 but i still think that america or at least the way that we sort of framed sort of race within the america sort of context we still had a bit of an obama glow about it i don't think the horrors had really quite set in yeah for sure you know, the sort of post-Obama, Trump, racial sort of animus in the US, I don't think that was really sort of, had bubbles to the surface in a way that you needed to for the sort of cultural element of this to really resonate. Yeah, that's that's definitely got something to do with it. And I think too, you know, like you, the, the Peel films definitely had a big impact on um, the way that, on, on, you know, larger audiences getting into this kind of thing and realising that you can kind of tell those stories and they can be appreciated on a much wider scale and really make people think about this stuff a little bit differently uh, to what they might have already. If I was to recommend it to someone, I wouldn't talk about what the film's about, but rather I would just say that it's Get Out meets Office Space meets Bojack Horseman meets... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot going on. It's just... Yeah. It's insanely good. But saying all that too, you know, like it's an... It, it felt like an easy watch. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was a struggle to watch. It was... It's the humour and there's sort of absurdist comedy parts that are really interesting in the start of it. There's lots of... um you know, there's lots of really cool kind of camera tricks. One of, one of the things I really loved, which I don't think is a spoiler, is when, when he starts talking, at, um, when he starts doing the call center stuff at the beginning and um, you sort of, there's a cool, uh, there's a cool little technique they use where when he's on the phone and he rings up the person, 
his desk and phone and everything sort of drop into the lounge room of this person who's taking the call or the bedroom of the person and he's sort of sitting in there with them and it's um not done in a way where it's just completely no I don't know it, it was just really clever and really a really cool small touch to sort of show that oh okay we're going to be we, we're not going to be just watching a straightforward film here we're going to see some really interesting stuff happen and we're going to see some clever ideas and it just made for some cool gags as well you know some cool visual gags which I thought worked really well yeah, I was just looking up Boots Riley, who was the writer-director of the film, and I was trying to work out why he hasn't done anything since then, like since the film came out. So apparently it was inspired by his time working as a telemarketer himself, which he finished out in 2012. 2017, he began production on the film. Uh, 2018 in January, it played at Sundance and then came out in cinemas about six months after that. And then after that, like he's just been like absent. Like he's been getting in fights with Spike Lee on Twitter, but other than that, that's, I mean, really that much commentary. Uh, but apparently it's got a TV series coming soon called I'm a Virgo. Oh, cool. And and I think he was a musician for, uh, he was a musician and a, like he was a rapper and a composer before he actually um, got into the, you know, visual aspect of things. So maybe he's been, um, you know, maybe he's been leaning back on that or maybe, you know, this was the one film that he's always wanted to make. Maybe one of those kind of stories. will be very interesting to see a TV show. Yeah. Uh, the comparison to Spike Lee is kind of interesting, where I think a lot of people had made those comparisons when the film had come out, and that's largely just because I think both of them play in a sort of fairly surrealist, comedic yeah. thing, and they've both got similar things they want to say about the way that black people are engaged within the broader culture. But again, like it's kind of just unfair to say that these two artists are who immediately seem similar, but it's probably unfair because there's just so few that are yeah, yeah, that's the right, and it's yeah. certainly not a comparison i would have made after watching it but i mean but maybe that's because you know i'm making a similar one with the jordan peele movies but i guess and lakeith is in both of those jordan peele movies as well so there's another connection there but you know there's definitely something a little bit closer to there so that's probably it's probably even a bit lazy doing that but you know it's um it's some kind of reference i think to the uh, to the to the style of it at the very least yeah but this is streaming on netflix right now Yes, it's on Netflix now, and um, I couldn't recommend it more. I've recommended it to a bunch of friends just this week who have all come back and said, oh, my God, thanks for that. So I'm hoping that more people will have a chance to enjoy it from this discussion. <laughs> uh, it sounds like I'm doing this thing at the moment where I'm watching 90 classic films in 90 days. Do you think that this could, we could pop this in there? Like, Because I feel like I really want to watch it now after listening to your review. Look, I would definitely it call classic? it a classic film. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I reckon we could do a whole discussion about that. That sounds awesome. So that's a film every day. Yeah, how are you, um, yeah, how are you determining what's classic? I'm just what I want to watch that night. And, you know, if it's had some sort of a, like, cultural resonance or if it's still around, basically, or if I've heard of it or I'm not really, I, I, my, my criteria keeps changing. And I'm 15 movies in and I basically never want to see a movie again. I'm so <laughs> Oh, no, that, this is the perfect film to drop in now because I yeah. think yeah. it is so interesting and unusual that it's kind of right. become like the sorbet that you need to sort of freshen yourself up a little bit more, just sort of refresh that palette, and then you can dive into whatever the next like Fantastic. 10 things I hate about you or whatever the next film is on the list. Right. It's going to be tonight's <laughs> you, film for you. Are you rewatching films or is it all stuff you yeah. haven't seen? No. Oh, you are no, rewatching I'm as well. Rewatching a, but it's stuff, you know, that I haven't seen for a really long time, you know, most of it. Um, and I, I wonder if as I progress, I'll start um, just putting in, you know, if I'm so, because I like last night, I completely forgot to watch a film until about 10 o'clock. And I thought there's just no way I can watch one tonight. 
And I was really tempted to just put in beaches or big business or something that I've watched <laughs> oh, a thousand times, but didn't. Yeah. Um, Dan and I watched every Police Academy movie um, once upon a time on one day. Oh. We watched all of the Police Academy movies in a row. I wouldn't recommend doing that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to um, imagine that they don't age that well. Like I remember until about <laughs> about until about 2004, I used to tell people that Police Academy Two was my favorite film of all time, <laughs> and and um, I don't think I'd be doing that. I feel like it's not going to have aged very well, except for Michael Winslow. Like there's, you can't get classic into stuff. Trouble. It's embarrassing saying numbers. Who's your favorite of all time? When you consider there is Police Academy Four, Citizens on Patrol. What's number two is back in, what is number two? Two two is the one that introduces, um, what's that guy? Bobcat Goldweight. Yeah, yeah, I think. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Whatever. But for years, I told people that was my favourite movie. My goodness. <laughs> the Police Academy 2 is their first assignment. <laughs> yeah, Three years back yeah. in training. Four is, yeah, four so, is yeah, yeah. Citizens on Patrol. I mean, it is one of the great, like, I feel like it's better than Police Academy 1. It's like Arthur 2 on the rocks is better than the first Arthur. It's one of the great, like, the sequel is better than the first, like Godfather 2, you know, that kind of, well, you know. <laughs> I'd have to go and rewatch, but I really don't want to. Yeah, no, don't recommend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what have you seen? Like, what's on the list so far? Oh, so I've watched things like, like I watched The Apartment again, which I love. Good choice. Dan and I love The Apartment. It's a great, I I feel like it might be my favourite movie of all time now. I think that, I think it's replaced Police Academy (laughs) 2. Bite your tongue. (laughs) The Billy Wilder Apartment, do you mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of, of course. course. And not Joe's apartment. No, no, not Joe's apartment. No. The uh the I've watched loads of Billy Wilder. So I've watched Double Indemnity, um, uh, Some Like It Hot, uh, what else? Gosh, I've watched and I've turned my phone off so nobody rings while we're talking, so I can't even tell you. But I've watched things like it all started by listening to that um You Must Remember This podcast series about Polly Platt. Mm. Uh was, you know, as you guys would know, Peter Bogdanovich's offsider and wife and creative partner. And I started watching, I realised I hadn't watched The Last Picture Show and I hadn't seen Paper Moon since I was a kid. So I started watching a bunch of the films that were mentioned in that and then decided to try and fill in 90 days watching 90 films. It's just insane. I don't know why I said I'd do it. but Um, Kiss Me Stupid is one of my favourite Billy Wilder ones. It's like about the songwriters. It's very very good. It's kind of got, it's got Dean Martin in it and... He's been awesomely Dean Martin sleazy and yeah, it's great. Oh, great. I'll pop that down. There, there's something I watched the other day. Gosh, I wish I had my Twitter nearby, I could tell you. Um, but I'm so I'm so in the moment of what we're talking about now that I don't possibly want to go there. There's something I watched the other night that I was overwhelmed by how good it was. I mean, Do the Right Thing. I saw that for the first time, the Spike Lee film. Awesome. I was blown away and blown away by its current relevance as well. You know, how, how tragically it stands up. Um, what else have I watched? What's up doc, double indemnity, do the right thing. Now Voyager, um, sunset Boulevard. Oh my gosh. Sunset Boulevard, pretty baby moonlight moonstruck. I watched the other night. Oh, my brilliant career. I watched the other night, which I just thought was, I mean, I'd seen it before, but I thought was absolutely amazing. So it's been it's been quite the quite the ride. And tonight I'm going to watch that film that you recommended from Netflix. So thank you. No worries. 
Yeah, I just and the thing because you saw do the right thing, and if you're watching this, also check out Black Klansman because I think that was just like an incredible film that not enough people really checked out. Yeah, it's an amazing film. You've seen it? Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen that yet. Yeah, looking forward that, to it. Up until the other night, shamefully, that was the only Spike Lee film I'd ever seen. I hadn't seen do the, do the right thing or um, she's got to have it or any of those. So I'm a, I'm going to populate the ninety with those because I just loved do the right thing. Yeah, maybe just look for the list of like the sort of best like five or six of his films because it gets a little patchy here and there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on. We're going to talk about some actual TV though. There's a show that I have not seen. I saw it mentioned when it first got released in the UK. It's a show called Staged. Uh, let's listen to a clip and Mel's going to tell us about it. Can I tell you something that I shouldn't tell you? I don't know, should you? I don't know, can I? Well, I don't know now, do I? Georgia sent me a script. Really? Yeah, she wanted to get another opinion on it before she spoke to you, but uh, she thinks it's incredible. And what do you think? Oh, fuck. Sorry. Sorry? Stop bleating, please. Sorry. Hello? I'll be with you in a second. Joseph's flowers, question mark. Yes, yes, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, I hate this bloody machine. Why can't we go back to cups and strings? I'm asking you, why can't we go back to cups and strings? Yes, whatever you want. David? Sorry, I didn't realise you were joining us. Well, it would have somehow lessened the impact, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You've grown your hair. Uh, extensions, I see. Oh. Michael? Judy. Are those extensions too? Uh, no, no, this, uh, this is all me. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been talking to your director. Simon? Yes, he's a lovely boy. He's lovely, yeah. He's a tad ineffectual. Ineffectual, yes. And ambitious. Oh, absolutely. A bit like a well-meaning moth that keeps bumping into the wrong light bulb. He tells me you're not playing nicely. And just then we're listening to David Tennant, Michael Sheen, and the great Dame Judi Dench. Now, tell us, what is this about? Because I was watching it and I could not really sort of get a beat on it. It kind of seemed a little bit like The Trip, but just sitting very stationary and socially distanced. Okay, so, so here's what's really interesting about it. This is a BBC comedy that has been made in response, obviously, to what we're going through now, um, to the pandemic. And I don't know about you guys, but I have been pretty much exceedingly bored Ugh, by most yes. online offerings that have been coming out. Like, I don't want to see them. Like, even to the point where when I read about this first online in The Guardian or somewhere like that, I rolled my eyes. I was like... Even though I love David Tennant and Michael Sheen, I don't want to see them Zooming. I don't want to see anybody Zooming anymore. I'm <laughs> over Zooming. And, um, and, but I returned to this just a few days, actually, before you so graciously <laughs> invited me to be on this podcast, which is why yeah. I wanted to talk about it. My best friend is in London at the moment and she's just watched the whole lot. Um, and she said, go and give it a try. You'll really love it. So what are the, what are, the, the world that we're in is the world that we're in. So it's a, like I said, BBC comedy starring Michael Sheen and David Tennant. And the central concept is that they are both bored as at home. And before COVID was happening, they were meant to rehearse a play in the West End, which was going to be a huge hit, six characters in search of an author. And what they've decided along with the director is that what they'll do is they'll rehearse it during lockdown so that when lockdown finishes, they're the only people who are boom, ready to go, get on stage, earn some money, et cetera. So the concept is that they're they're rehearsing this, this show and it's via Zoom. So 
where they recorded it all in isolation. It is recorded in their actual homes with their actual wives in their actual gardens, etc. So there's a couple of things that work really well here on that level that you would think maybe it shouldn't. It's really great getting a little sneak peek at their houses, you know, like looking at Michael Sheen's Welsh, Welsh sandstone um, abode and David Tennant's like glorious plush London pile. Yes, there's a real melancholy to it. So you're not, it's not like Ellen showing you her mansion, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know how that was a bit off. Like this is kind of, um, these two are so despondent. They're so hairy and have given up so much. They play these these um, sort of, I, I would imagine, highly sort of satirized versions of themselves. Like they're kind of lovable dickheads. Can I swear, can I say that on this podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and we see, you know, we see their wives, and their wives are like these very sort of um, sensible, entertaining women as well. And so the it, they only go each episode goes for about fifteen minutes each, and it's delightful because you're seeing two people sort of pay each other out, pay themselves out, and try and put on a play. Now, the reason I like this so much is I feel like my life has been a very low rent version of what we're seeing in this at the moment. Um, so, you know, like when COVID struck, I was in rehearsals for my new play, we were canceled. And then I've spent the next, you know, the, the following few months working from home in Ugg boots and um, my hair's grown too long. And if I, had facial hair I'm sure I would have like a fluffy beard like uh, like Michael Sheen so there's a there's like a relatability to it can I tell you another really lovely thing about it just on that zoom thing like you know how yeah. I was saying oh we don't want more zoom so we, it's not just zoom you see like they really manage to keep your eye interested because like I said they're in different rooms in their houses but they do this really they've got this lovely device all the way through it that I think will make this show actually a, quite a beautiful record of this time. So they have just, they interrupt every three or four minutes um, or every beat in the, in the story uh, with all these lovely drone shots going around Wales and around London, like showing these desolate. Yeah. Cities, wow. You know? And so it's actually quite, a beautiful, lovely little piece for something that sounds like it's going to be like boring as it's highly entertaining. And the thing that I was a little lovely. bit thrown when I was watching Michael Sheen is that you were saying that everyone's looking a little bit hairier and a little sort of more frazzled than they have been. The thing is Michael Sheen's just come off doing a season of the good fight last year where he looked even more bearded and even more scraggly than he did as part of COVID Michael Sheen. So it's kind of just a bit weird sort of watching him playing this version of himself that's supposed to look so relaxed and so grown out, considering I've just seen him on screen like just looking way worse. The interesting thing about him in this is he's not relaxed at all. Like he's mental all the way through. Like he's kind of, and he plays this uh, real, um, I'm not going to say cliche because it exists, but he plays an actor very much puffed with his own self-importance who's really struggling at being inside all day with a newborn baby, who's really kind of struggling not um, being in the theatre or on set. Like the thing is about theatre life and on set life, it is such a social space. And, you know, you go into these places. I mean, I've never been on a television or film set, but I've been in a lot of theatre companies. And, you know, you join for three months together, you become family everybody cares about what you say and what you think and what you're doing. And then suddenly you're at home with your newborn baby or you're, I mean, in my 
in my case, I'm at home with my dog, see, low rent version with my two dogs who don't care about me. They don't care about what I'm trying <laughs> to say in my play. Um, so so they, they're really good at playing on that. So I don't know actually whether it is just because, you know, my bestie that recommended it to me, she's a theatre director and she said, you are going to love this. It's just all, it's all about actors and how, you know, beautifully crazy actors can be. You'll love it. So I don't know whether it translates to people who who don't have that as very much part of their life. But for me, it felt very, like, I, I just loved it. I feel like just having the rehearsal kind of element gives it some sort of uh, reason to exist more than a lot of these yeah. other programs that we've seen or the little short things we've seen over Zoom, which has just been about, you know, trying to trying to shoehorn a reason for having these conversations into them. So, yeah, having that idea around it, I can see really gives it a nice sense of structure and purpose. Yeah. And they really, um, they really take the piss out of themselves, which is enjoyable. Like they don't come out of it very well. They both look terrible. Like absolutely, they both look so terrible. They both need such. They need baths, and they need to be shorn, and they need all sorts of things. And their wives are completely lovely and kind of normal looking. But it's um, it's just really great. There's lots of great little guest cameos in there. So you, of course, heard Judy Dench. Um, there's an ongoing fight throughout the entire series about who gets billing, who gets top billing in the in the play, and she has a really funny turn about that towards the end. Um, also, who else are guest stars? Samuel L. Jackson is in it. Adrian oh, Lester, right. yeah, and also um, Simon Evans, the guy who is the you know he's the play director in the series. He actually wrote and and directed the actual TV series. And I think he's super talented. I only know him as a theatre director. You know, he's kind of famous in the UK for directing marquee theatre. And when I say marquee theatre, I mean kind of West End shows with stars in them. You know, that he's that kind of director. But I think he's a really funny, if he wrote this, he's a really funny comic voice as well who, who observes people and actors very, very well. So why is it that Zoom TV shows are so on the nose? Because I have to say, when I first saw the images like of this, and like you, I think I saw it in like a Guardian review of the program. And the Guardian review was waxing lyrical about how wonderful the program was. And I'm like, it can't be good because it's another Zoom type production. And there's just no way I was ever going to see it. So you've actually really sort of convinced me to check this out because there was no way I was going to check it out as much as I love the people in this. But why, why are they unwatchable? I think because the novelty is over, right? The novelty of this whole thing of me having meetings and doing this stuff from home is well and truly over at this point, I think. Yeah. And also it's depressing. It's not like, you know, so often we go to TV and film because we want to escape from our lives or escape from whatever is going on. There's nothing escapist about seeing a person alone in a room, like singing a song on a concert, you know, on a live concert with no applause. Like, it's just so depressing. Whereas I think what this show does is it, like like I said before, it takes you beyond just the Zoom. Like the Zoom is beautifully filmed and shot and the sound's perfect for a start and the, and the actual, like, I think they must, I don't know if, they, if they've got nice cameras in their computer or what the story is, but it looks nice. Um, and they take you out of it, which is really important. It's not that. And it's mm. also used as a comic device too, because the switching off or the switching on at the certain, you know, it's um, it's very, very expertly done for something that's obviously been pulled out of Simon um, Evans's behind very, very 
you know, quickly. Yeah. My thinking is that maybe Zoom screens are a little bit like when you're watching a friend playing a video game and you'd like to be able to actually engage with a screen yourself, but you can't. It's kind of like when you've got a mobile phone in your hand and you're watching something on Netflix, but you're used to doing stuff on your phone. You're used to like pressing buttons. And I find when I'm watching a movie on Netflix, like on my phone, that I'll be like just touching the screen, seeing like the play button come up and just stuff. Cause I want to interact with that screen. And so watching a Zoom conversation yeah. happening on your TV screen, your natural inclination is to want to start engaging with what's happening on the screen. Yeah. And because you can't actually engage, suddenly it feels like a very false experience to you. Well, it feels very hollow, doesn't mm. it? You've made a really good point there, I think, Dan. But it feels there is something very hollow about watching Zoom performances. And I think you've probably nailed the head. I hate it so much. You've nailed it. You've, what are you, I can't, I'm getting all, I can't, it's been so long since I've spoken with somebody in real life that I'm getting all my words mixed up. Yes, it happens. It's a regular problem on this, yeah. on this podcast. Don't worry about that. Guys, let's keep things going. There's a third thing we're going to talk about this week. It's a TV show I've been watching called The Others Who. <laughs> oh my God, it's honestly so tragic. I know. And in this climate? Exactly. Hi, I'm Brooke. I was going to wear jeans to this because I'm rich, but I just thought that was too obvious. So that's why I'm in this huge gown. Cool. <laughs> Our friend Zita was just talking about not having a job. Wait, what? Oh my God, that makes me feel so much better. I don't have a job either. Yeah, I'm kind of spinning out about what I'm going to do next. <gasps> Zita, relax. You don't have to do anything. Mm -mm. Yeah, girl, this is the beauty of retirement. <laughs> You're retired? Yeah, of course. We all are. You know how it goes. Your teens are for working. Your 20s are for resting. Well, what are your 30s for? Making a global, global impact. impact. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, so the other two, I went into it expecting to hate the program. I want to hate the program. I just, oh, the entire idea of enjoying this program is so far removed from where I'm at. And yet, I love it. I'm completely on board for it. So the reason why I approached this with such disdain to begin with was that I saw people on Twitter talking about how great this show is. And the one thing I hate is people on Twitter telling me how good something is because invariably it's never quite as good as they're purporting it to be. So case in point, hey, I'm looking for something to watch. Have you seen Fleabag? It's the best. Fleabag's fantastic. Fleabag's amazing. You're going to really love Fleabag because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to screen entertainment. And that's what I saw from Twitter for a couple of years. And then that started fading away. And increasingly, I'm seeing the phrase, have you seen the other two? The other two is amazing. It's fantastic. It's the best thing's happened since Fleabag. <laughs> I want to know part of it. No point that I've want to watch this program, but I'm totally on board for it. I've watched the first five or six episodes in the last two or three days, and I'm just going to blitz through. So I hit episode 10 and then start pacing around the house because season two is not out yet. The idea of the show, it comes from two former SNL uh, showrunners. Well, um, head writers, I think, is the phrase they use on Saturday Night Live because you can't be the showrunner because Lorne's got to keep collecting his paycheck. Uh, but you've got Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. And immediately, if there's an SNL person involved, I really want to back away from it. Yeah. And yet I'm still really into this. Uh, but both of them are writing the series uh, with... The overall premise being you've got two people in their mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s. They're not getting anywhere in their entertainment careers. Uh, one of them is a uh, former dancer who can't quite work out what she wants to do in life. 
Her brother is a aspiring actor, a gay man, and is sort of navigating the fact that he's got his housemate who is purporting to be a straight guy, but he's got some definite inclinations to want to do stuff around the house. And so he's kind of in love with his uh, housemate, but he can't quite, you know, get past the fact that he knows that he's just being used as a bit of a sexual plaything and they can never really go anywhere. So he's got that happening in his life and his career's not really doing anything. But the person who's having a lot of success is their 14-year-old younger brother, who's obviously a much later in life child that's sort of come into their family. And so he's become a Justin Bieber type celebrity, where off the strength of one song, suddenly he's the most popular person on the planet. So they're dealing with their own inadequacies in life while they're looking at the overall success of their brother, who's done next to nothing to deserve the <laughs> fame and adulation that he's receiving in the world. Uh, you've got Molly Shannon, who plays their mother and his uh, stage mum, I guess. So she's taking him around everywhere. You've got Ken Marino playing the manager of the um, talent. He's a singer. He's an actor. He's a multi-hyphenate, despite the fact he doesn't even really deserve a single hyphen because he's only like barely recorded a song. But anyway... He's amazing. And the thing with that kid is that you want to hate him as well, but he's really charming and kind of nice. So you totally get why everyone's on board with this kid. But man, you just, the entire situation, you feel for these characters because it's such a um, easy to embrace concept as a program. And I think with this, I'm looking for hangout shows on the regular. And this is a show I desperately want to hang out with these characters more and more. Um, I, I watched the first two episodes, Dan. I absolutely loved it as well. I, I was really shocked at how much I did. My partner, Tiani, not so much. But um, she kind of... I thought it would be much more up her alley, but I don't think she quite um, got into it. So I'll be watching the rest solo, as usual. But the um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you hit on something there that's really interesting, is that you know it would just be so easy to make one, if not one, but all of these characters really unlikable. And that would even be the kind of... You know, that's sort of the, the the role these people normally play in it, especially you've got your young, you know, precocious teenage kid who is absolutely, like you say, charming and actually feels like he just has nothing but good in his soul, despite this sort of horrible thing he's in. Molly Shannon doing the mum who would be, you know, is is just so far from one of these horrible Hollywood mums that you imagine or the, um, you know, the really kind of, she's definitely got that sense of wanting her kids to achieve and wanting them to succeed and all that kind of stuff. But she um, treats all her children with the same amount of token respect that well, she pretends to have the same amount of kind of support and encouragement for the other two um, who, who come across as seemingly failures next to um, the young chase. And then even Ken Marino, who as the despicable agent is like, you know, he is a likable, I've, I've liked him in everything. He always plays this kind of likable character who's a little bit despicable at heart or, or reveals himself to be extremely despicable down the track. But And he's always a massive schmuck as well. Yeah, and, and even he is kind of like, you know, even with his flaws and his obvious Hollywood stuff and his just grossness, he's still kind of like, he's still, you know, palatable and he's still like a fun character to be around. Um, it's funny as hell. The writing is so sharp and just like I actually lulled many many times in the first episode and was um a, without even having much of a basis around the characters um i really felt like uh who's the the um uh, drew drew tarver is carrie the the um a gay aspiring actor who he was just he's so good it really came across as like he's got kind of that sort of adam scott um dorkiness about him but in a really and and charming in the same way really 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 liked all of the actors and all of the characters that they play, but um, yeah, I thought he was particularly awesome. 
Yeah, Elena York, who plays the sister, I've seen her on a few other things before, and she's always just been kind of present. But here, like, she's incredibly charismatic, and against, like, Drew, Char uh, Drew Harver, who is such a charisma charismatic screen presence in the same way that Adam Scott is, like, you'd kind of think that she gets swarmed out by him, but, like, both of them really sort of bring their A-game to this. Like, they are just... You just want to hug them both. Like, I am smitten. Yeah, I, I want to... Smitten, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, Val. I was just going to say, can I be a bit controversial here, guys? Yeah. Interrupt the love fest for a second. The um, I've had a lot of people recommend this to me too over the last few months. <laughs> and it yeah. wasn't... I've tried to watch it twice. I've appreciated the great gags. Like, and because it's Saturday Night Live, writers, unlike you, Dan, when I hear that, I'm like, I want to go watch that. Like, I'm really excited <laughs> about it. Um, but the, and, and I can see, like, I think the writing is really sharp and there's really funny jokes, but it took me three goes to get through the whole first episode. And I'm not that interested in seeing the second episode. And I wonder if it's because it really felt to me a lot like, did you see Nobodies that was on Foxtel a few years ago? It got two seasons. It was um, produced by, well, executive produced by Melissa McCarthy. And it's about a bunch of three of her friends from the groundlings who haven't made it like everybody else has. Oh, and they're right. probably trying to make it. And it's kind of a bit dirtier and a bit, um, a bit nastier and a bit, I found it just a bit more fun. Like this one seems very PG to me in a way. Oh, but it's not PG too. There's a few good uh, jokes with the, with the, um, air steward that aren't very yeah, it, it's quite it's quite rude and that's what shocked me but it does it definitely has that feeling to it like it just it feels so wholesome when it when it kicks in and i thought i, I almost yeah. thought oh is this is this like a young teen show you know like is this aimed at sort of yeah maybe that's it, what yeah it definitely it definitely came across as that but i think yeah as soon as it sort of started getting a little bit um yeah, as soon as it started getting a bit dirty. And I don't know, that that to me was something that was really appealing about it as well, that it sort of um, pretend, it, it pretended like it was going to be this very um, PG story of a young child, of, of the sort of the the innocent days of Justin Bieber before he uh, started smashing Lamborghinis and getting face tattoos. And, um, and, and, and look at that. But then, you know... I'm really interested to see if they're going to take it further that way. But that's good. It's good to disagree with us. We, we don't know. We're, we're idiots. But, but no, but also, though, I've only watched one episode and I will keep going because, like like I said, so many people have recommended this as being really gorgeous, sort of escapist fun TV, which is exactly what I love my TV to be. But I don't know if I'm just um, comparing it too much to The Nobodies, which I absolutely loved and was devastated to hear they're only making two series of. Yeah, yeah, so, so when I first saw the program, I, okay, so I think your response has something to do with stakes. So you went into it because it had been recommended it quite heavily to you, and it didn't quite live up. And I will say, when I watched the first episode, which I actually watched that months and months and months ago, mm -hmm. I think when the show first came out, I'm not sure, it's been almost a year now since the show debuted. When the show came out, like, I saw it and I was like, it's fine, but I didn't really yeah. embrace it. Yeah. But then uh, I resubscribed to Stan a couple of days ago because I needed to watch The Circus, which is part of my regular um, viewing. So a new season that started a few days ago. Yeah. Resubscribed to Stan. I went, oh, the others who were on there, people keep on talking it up. I should actually give it a look. And because I had fairly low investment in watching the first episode, and I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more than I had the first time through, I had like episodes two, three, going up to 10 to follow and it was just sort of sitting there. So I just kind of left it on and I kind of really fell for it then. So maybe it's just a thing of, if you come to it expecting it to be great, it's not really going to be that enjoyable. But like every great hangout sitcom, 
like really you just kind of need to hang out with the characters a little bit and they tend to grow on you like fungus. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. best hangout shows aren't necessarily immediately great from the get-go, oh, except yeah. for Cheers, which we can all accept as being one of the greatest shows ever. Like, and the second episode was heaps better and it didn't rely on the kind of, you know, we had a big chunk of that first episode was the sort of fake Today Show interview yeah. and, you know, all this, like the montages of all the like clips. So there was like a lot of that sort of setup done, which was, which is a little boring after you get past the thing. But, it was, but even that stuff was done in a very believable way, I thought. I thought. But also the sister's kind of pathetic in the first episode where I don't really get that from her in the later episodes. Like she doesn't have any real control of herself. Like there's no agency to her. In that one, she was kind of just like bouncing from a relationship that she's not happy in to the stuff going on with like the air steward. And like, it just kind of felt like I felt bad for her. Well, I don't really feel that from later episodes. So maybe they retooled the approach to the character or maybe just a bit more sort of situation dependent. Yeah. Anyway, I would definitely give it another. I would definitely give it another right. look because I think it's going to get funnier as well. So yeah. Okay, That's guys, we're gonna white. It is on Stan streaming now with all ten episodes. In the US, it's Comedy Central, so you can find it there. And sorry, we didn't say Staged Early, which is a BBC show. But could you find it in Australia, or did you just kind of acquire it? I was watching it with a um, what do you call it? A VPN. VPN. Am I allowed to say that on a podcast? Like, is that illegal? Is having a VPN illegal? I can't work it out. You're perfectly within your rights to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, that's good. Well, yeah, I watched it on a VPN. <laughs> yeah. And surely it's surely surely it's on Foxtel BBC channel. Surely. I don't think it's cropped up here yet, but I suspect right. that it's really just a matter of time until it does. Yeah. Yeah. Probably by the time it's no longer relevant. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Although it will be like I feel like it's going to just be a capsule of this time yeah sure want, yeah yeah which we'll want to revisit so much <laughs> of course yes. <laughs> so many good times yeah. you know when i did have great times i had some great times in the 80s particularly yeah. sitting down as a young child like there hanging out with my family watching a little program called country practice and this is particularly notable because we have among us the host of a brand new podcast a country podcast chris is this you no, no. How has no one done this before, okay. Dan and Chris? How? Do you know? You told me the name of the podcast the other day, and I was like, how does yeah, this not how exist? Does it not exist already. And I, look, I have to give full credit to the the podcast name and the idea to my co-host and co-producer, Kim Lester, um, who's an old friend and colleague of mine from the ABC. And we've been looking at, at, you know how friends always bash about, oh, we must do a project together, you know, this kind of thing. And you talk, talk, talk. And then sometimes it happens, like always be watching podcasts. But most of the time it doesn't because I find, I don't know about you guys, but with podcasts, I always have people saying to me, you should do a podcast or why don't you do a podcast? And I think, well, I don't have a good idea. That's why I don't have an idea. Totally. And then Kim came to me with a bunch of ideas including this one of a country podcast. And I was like, sign me up. Oh, no, please keep talking. Oh, I just okay. want to get some music so in the background. That music, of course, <laughs> is written by oh. great Mike Pajanic, who also, interestingly, and I know this because he's coming up on the show in a few weeks' time, he uh, also wrote the music for Hey Dad, Home and Away, uh, Kingswood Country, basically everything in the 80s that... Wow. Yeah, so what we're doing... There are two iconic 80s themes, and it's this and Sons and Daughters, which might actually technically be a 70s theme, could he be responsible for sons and daughters as well? I don't know if well? he is actually, but maybe I'll find out. He, I don't. He didn't mention that when I spoke to him about it. So maybe lead with sons and daughters, surely. Surely, <laughs> surely, surely. But what we're going to be 
because like literally as soon as you mention a country prices to me i've had this thing in my head for like days Wait. now and then like i started thinking about sons and daughters and then suddenly the theme just like took over and it just completely controlled my brain so i was wondering if maybe there's a connection tears and laughter that one isn't it da, 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 yeah da, yeah i don't think he did do it yeah i think and you know what oh, i'm not going to do all the spoilers but a country practice was meant to be a pop song not what it was wow and yeah and i'm what? not going to say anything else because he's he had lots of really interesting things to say about that but um we kind of what we're going to do with the podcast is we're going to watch a watch an episode talk a bit about the episode but i don't know if you guys remember this but every single episode of a country practice had some social message in it you know it's taught us about drug abuse or about hiv aids or about breast cancer or about drink driving and so what we're going to do is we're going to focus in each week on what they were trying to teach us and what was actually going on in the 80s when the episode you know was broadcast so it's a society and culture podcast as Excellent. well as a recap podcast. In terms of the actual podcast itself, are you doing an episode per podcast? Are you going to skip any episodes? Because there's a lot of country practice to get through. Oh, yeah, because there's, there's 1,088. They made on, <laughs> on a... So, so they did something like... I think they did 13 seasons mm. or something bonks like that. I need to, you know, bone up on that. But when they were in their peak uh, making it, they were making something like 90 episodes a year. So, because they had, you know, it was Monday, Tuesday nights at 7.30 all year, basically. So there's way too, like we would be doing the podcast for something like 30 years if we did an episode <laughs> per thing. So we're just, we're pretty much picking out ones that we, that are interesting for some reason, or that we remember. Like, for example, do you guys remember when Donna died? The character Donna? Like, I can't even know, picture Donna. Well, let me tell you. It's just bizarro. What I remember about it very clearly was that she was throwing a birthday party for Mozart and she ended up being killed in a car accident. And to me, I remembered that very, like I thought I remembered that very clearly. I went back and watched the episode and I remembered it extremely clearly. And it must've gone to air when I was about seven, but it was so powerful, this car accident and the way everybody was strewn on the road and stuff like that. Wow. That I remember. So, so yeah, we're, we're doing, we're, we're basically finding ones that we remember and we'll build up of course, to Molly's death. I mean, when we're, when we've had enough of doing the podcast, we'll finish probably with Mo Molly's death, death in about now, five Now, are you going to look time. at the follow-up series that yeah, aired on Channel 10? It's going to take a while. When they revive the program. Because I think it went from being a country practice to ACP. Yeah. Look, here's my here's my worry about it. Here's my, well, not my worry. Yeah. Here's why I'm really doing the podcast, Dan and Chris, is, as you know, I'm a writer. My dream is to reboot a country practice. But I don't want it rebooted the way they do commercial TV reboots at the moment. Like, you know, when they do a commercial TV reboot, everybody's good looking in it for a start. <laughs> no, thank you. Everyone wears very colourful clothes and they have beautiful houses and everything's nice and colourful. No, thank you. I want people that look like normal people. I want them dressed in beige. I want them out in the country that looks like the country that isn't bucolic and lovely. You know, this is my this is my chance. So that's what the podcast awesome. probably is. Hmm. The gritty reboot it deserves. I um in anticipation, I watched four episodes last night of the country oh. practice. I sat down to watch a little bit of one. And um, I, I got stuck right in and I didn't, uh, I only watched, I just watched what was on YouTube. So I literally just went to the first full episode right. on YouTube. I've made a few little notes here that I'd love to discuss with you because I can't wait. nobody can't else wait is going to care. While, while you're getting your notes, can I just point out, 
I think every episode is streaming on 7 Plus. So there's actually a very viable way to watch Absolutely. it. They're adding them. They meant to add them all. So the first one I saw was episode number 429, um, <laughs> which is a bit late. A bit late in this in the in the piece, but not too like that's not, not even halfway late. through. That's, like, that's probably yeah. about six in, yeah. Mid era. Um the plot line was fantastic. So the first thing that I that really took me by surprise and I remembered instantly was this amazing um device that they use where the actual guts of the story and the the sort of the the terrible thing that happens, because it's basically a terrible thing that happens every episode, or or an you know, a, a, a mentally thing, but it's usually terrible. Um, happens to uh, characters that aren't regularly in the show. So it's this kind of like, it's almost like Love Boat is the only other thing I could think of where <laughs> you, you, you've got your sort of your main characters on the side and they have little um, transgressions and they have little, uh, you know, an evolution to their character. But, but what you're really focusing on is these characters that you've never seen before, these people that you've never met um, going through this medical, you know, con uh, horrible sort of time usually. And um which just works so well because you can kind of invest yourself in it to a certain degree. You don't have that level of stress that one of your favorite characters is um, going to be necessarily have something happen, horrible happen to them every week, but you get the opportunity to, like you say, talk about all these different social issues. Um, so that, that was just like a real light bulb going off going, Oh yeah, that's what made this kind of so interesting. Um, and then, but, but on top of that, you know, you've, you've got the, you do have the storylines going in the, as well. And eventually I think it becomes much more soapy, and not just that sort of episode by episode thing. And a lot of them are breaking into two parts too. So um, mm -hmm. that's tricky, but yeah, I was really shocked at how progressive some of the stuff was. So the episode I watched um, an old friend of um, the silver Fox, Shane Porteous um, has come forward and she wants to get a, um, they, they, you know, they're in their forties, um, they can't have kids and they want to have a surrogate and they want to do it the old fashioned way, not using test tubes and stuff. So there's, you know, this sort of, uh, infidelity kind of angle to it as well. And um, Shane Porteous's role as the doc is to kind of talk them through the ideas and, you know, how it's going to work and um, what the risks might be. And it's it's almost done in this way where it's, uh, you know, it, it's really educating the audience about not only this thing that was, I remember when it was big news, the sort of surrogate, the surrogate family thing in the 80s. And um, in the, yeah, this would have been like late 80s. And then, um, you know, but but it's not done in a judgmental way. It's done in this very much, almost like a brochure kind of way. And then he gives his little um, insight over the top, which I just thought was awesome. Um, the subplot was Sherl and the Sarge have broken up, and Sarge what? is getting yes. <laughs> spoiler alert, and um, Sarge is getting right Spoilers. into like you know he's sort of dressing up and um, you know he's he's trying to be a man around town again, like buying Larry shirts and stuff. And yeah. Sherl has gone full New Age. She's meditating under a pyramid. Remember when people used to have the yeah. pyramids in their lounge room? Oh my God. It was just like the stuff that was bring, bringing back like that around that actual time um, was so fantastic. But yeah, I absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately there was only the first one of that on YouTube. So I didn't get to see the second part and see what happened at the, the inevitable fallout <laughs> from the, this really complicated, awkward storyline. So it finished with like the husband and the, um, the friend going off into the bedroom to, um to do their to, to to make their baby um so it's like it's wild i really had no idea where it was going to go but that was something that was really interesting about it as well um but then it skipped then i jumped forward to 1990 to a two-parter which was called my sister's keeper which was starring pamela rabe i, I don't know if rabe or rabe how did you say her name rabe yeah rabe yeah amazing and and it was one of those ones where um 
you, you sort of think it's, you know, there's a, re a very obvious kind of twist in that story where you sort of, you know, not that obvious, but one that's used a lot and was really cool. And it's, but it's definitely presented as this mystery with this incredibly complicated backstory about how they had been in Wandon Valley 15 years ago and um, all this, all this stuff had happened in the meantime. And um, she was, she had, um, Pamela had become a paraplegic due to a error that one of the doctors had made. And it was this awesomely full on kind of thing. And then it had another really, like amusing sort of sideline storyline going on it but um that one you know was a little bit more it's it a couple of years down the track and it was a little bit more sophisticated um there were still lots of jokes about what a ladies man Shane Porteous was like, like I didn't you know that was so funny that that was such an ongoing thing and and also funny like I remembered heaps of this stuff and, and it had most of the characters that I remember but it didn't have um Molly and Simon of course who were the um is it Molly no no who Molly was and Brendan and Simon Molly and Bre Simon and Vicky, you know, and that's what I, when I think of a country practice, they're the four faces I see straight away and none of them were in it. So like, you know, it was interesting that, but yeah, there was still all the other rest of the cast was still so familiar. Matt Day was in the, um, in the second one in 1990, he must've been about 17 or something like that. So yeah, it was such a big part for so long. Like it was such a big part of watching television for so long that even after I sort of was forced to watch it with my parents, I obviously kept watching it, you know, yeah. like as a, as a young adult. Um, probably in my very, you know, in my uh, early unemployed days when it was on at 10 a.m. In, in the morning or something like that. But um, yeah, it was it, like, I, 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 the first, when I first heard that you're doing this, I thought, oh my God, you know, why would you do that to yourself? And then after watching two episodes, I'm like, oh, you're going to have a great time. Yeah, well, the thing, like you really hit, hit again, the nail on the head, <laughs> there, Chris, um, about uh, like how good, how how good the show is like it it kind of the politics of it hold up really well yes mostly. but what's really interesting about watching it even is, though they do fat shame the poor wombat but go no, on. yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's a it's actually a very kind show it's very kind-hearted like just recently you know i was watching a bunch of episodes recently obviously and i remember you know like we think of esme watson the character played by Joyce Jacobs is like the joke of the show you know and her meddling etc her joke but actually when you watch it now she's a very kind-hearted woman who cares about the community like everybody um even the sort of bad like she's not a baddie but she was kind of like the joke of the show is still a real goodie like it's populated with really decent characters trying to do the right thing all the time which we we don't see a lot anymore you know no. there's still conflict of course but like it just you know, you've got this very steady hand with Dr. Terence Elliott, with Shane Porteous, who's kind of like, he's almost like the narrator or the moral um, the moral compass of the show. He's the dad I wish I had. He's the dad of the show, yeah, <laughs> of which everything sort of goes out, everything sort of revolves around him and comes back to him in some way. <laughs> it's kind of, an, it's just been lovely watching it for that, for watching these decent lovely people and what's really interesting about it too is every single person we've asked to be on the podcast has said yes of course which suggests to me that it was a very happy set to work on um i don't oh. know like, I'm, I'm still i'm still trying to you know we're still finding that out but not one person has come back to us or ignore not one person has ignored us not one person has come back and said no sorry i don't talk about that everyone we've approached and we've approached so far a few of the big names like we're sort of not we're not going for them all straight away obviously because um uh you know we've got a long podcast to do but everybody's wanted to talk to us and you know over the years I've met actors Got to pace um, it out. in foyers or worked with actors that have worked on a country practice and everybody has good things to say about it 
Yeah, that's so, super interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? I wonder if we'll, we might discover something otherwise, but I, I've got the feeling that it, on the whole, it's going to, it, it seems like it was a really good experience for people and that's what they're keen to share. Well, I'm looking forward to the episode where you inevitably have Josephine Mitchell on there. She's my Twitter crush. Of course we're going to have Josephine Mitchell on it. Yeah, yeah, she's, she, in fact, I was talking to her about it just last night about coming on, but I've got to work out when to, because she was, you know, like Joe was, she was who I wanted to be when I was watching it, you know, that she, she was my age group watching it. her and Brett Climo and Matt Day, you know, that, that lot were my sort of key years watching it. Yeah. So I, I'm so excited about having all of them on. We've got Matt Day as our first guest. Oh is, my God. So, and you know, Matt Day, like Huge. what a career. Yeah. What a career. Do you know Matt Day's even done a Woody Allen movie? Which film? Like he's amazing. Wow. Great. Muriel's Wedding, Country Practice. Like he's been there for some pretty significant Australian stuff. I just want to look up Matt Day now and go through the filmography. Yeah, yeah pretty, of course doing that as well. I think you're going to have, yeah, you're certainly not going to have a shortage of things to talk about. And I think the, um, you know, th- with that huge amount of episodes, it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage to, you know, do they keep it so fresh for that whole time? Like, I mean, I must've been watching 400, you know, around 400, 500, 600. And they were, very, and like, they were very good, very, very you know, good episodes. Another really great thing to point out as well about a country practice. So my job on the, on the podcast is um, that I have to find three people on every episode who've gone on and done things in the industry. So, you know, like one episode we've got from the beginning, ambulance driver number one is David Wenham. You know, like people like, like it's so <laughs> yeah. interesting all the way through. So so that's my job is to find out. Um, so I have to comb through the credits and basically Google every single person in the credits. Wow. What I find really fantastic about this show Another thing I love about it is how many people in the key creative team, like writers, script editors, um, uh, you know, like in that first uh, before the credits and then the first part of the credits before the cameraman and all that kind of stuff. So many women. So many women. It's not just a schlong fest. Like Like this podcast. From that time. Like always be watching. Yeah, like always be watching podcasts. (laughs) Most movies you watch. You know how every movie you watch, it's like, Bloke, 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 costume designer, woman, mm. bloke, 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 bloke. So it's just not like that, which I find really interesting from the 80s as well. And again, speaks to this great sort of social crunch. Maybe it does. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to discover this. That's, you know, I'm putting that on it. But I'm hoping that that speaks to this great social conscience that the show had. You know, they had Bob Hawke on it talking about nuclear um nuclear power was it nuclear power or weapons or something like that we haven't got that episode yet but oh my god i didn't remember that one all sorts of things they have just done all they did all sorts of really really interesting things there's a great story gary foley um the aboriginal activist uh posted on facebook just recently about how james davin the creator of the show approached gary foley to be a guest on the show and Gary said, well, yeah, I, I will, but on these terms. And they created an entire um, wow. episodes around those terms, that around those things that Gary wanted to say to the audience. So, I mean, really super progressive and interesting. That's fantastic. The story I read recently about a country practice was about um, how when how David Bowie was a massive fan, and when he came to the country, he invited a whole bunch of the cast to come to the to the show and like to watch backstage, and they were just like, yeah. what? Well, apparently, apparently, him and Iggy Pop used to get together at their English <laughs> mansion and watch it. And the story goes according to so. Um, 
Fiona Porteous, I think it was Fiona, um, Shane Porteous's daughter was quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald as saying that Shane, Shane took his three kids to see David Bowie, but he was like the last choice. I think the first choice was Fatso and they couldn't get Fatso out of the uh, wildlife sanctuary and into the entertainment centre. And the second choice, I think, was um, Grant Dodwell, who played uh, Dr. Simon Bowen, but he Simon, was off. Yeah. He was gone from the show by then. So they took in Shane Porteous and his three kids, apparently. We're obviously going to get to the bottom of that oh story. Oh, my God. So I just, the visual of Iggy Pop and David Bowie. Oh, gorgeous. Um, Tell you what, I wish David Bowie was alive so much to tell us the story of that. And That's to, right. To find amazing. out. I don't know if we'll get much sense from Iggy. Like one of Iggy's one of my- pretty good these days. Iggy does a podcast and a radio show. Yeah. And you'd so you'd be shocked. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, you get Iggy. I'm, I don't know why because I'm so I've been just I've seen Iggy um, perform so many times and I'm quite like I find him so raw. You know what I mean? Like I'm really scared about the possibility of maybe interviewing him about that because one of my friends is on the case. Oh, awesome! Down for it. So yeah, there's just so many great stories as there would be with a thousand and eighty-eight episodes of TV. Now, unless I'm mistaken, about five years ago there was a series of books that were created for a country practice. Yeah, and do you know Ooh. what? An interesting um, little side note to those is the books are written by the woman who killed off. Um, hang on, Molly. I'm pretty sure. Um, <sighs> hang on. Uh, the woman that wrote Judith Judith Cahoon. I hope I'm pronouncing her name properly because we definitely want her on our show as well. I'm pretty sure that she wrote those books, that series of books, but she also wrote the episode where Molly died. So like, you know, the most famous episode of Australian TV ever. So obviously we're hoping to get her, um, but we've got to work out when, you know, because that's going to be a big, like we, we kind of feel like the Molly stuff is like, in our dreams, we don't know 50 people are going to listen to us or 5,000. Like, we have no idea what the interest is going to be for this. But if per chance it's enough to get, like, 100 people in a room one day, that needs to be our live episode, don't oh you think? Oh, my God, like yes, the of course. stuff. And I feel bad because, like, I know Shane Withington a tiny little bit who played Brendan um, through theatre stuff, and I feel like it's it's like rude that we haven't asked him to be on the show yet, but we haven't asked him or Shane Porteous or because like, we kind of feel like, you know, we want to spread all the stars out along the way, you know, start totally. big. We're starting big with Matt, but along the way we want it. We, we don't, we, cause we're really interested in the creative processes too. We've got writers and script editors and Mike Pajanic, the, the composer and people like that on as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Okay, so a country podcast that hasn't started yet. Like if I get on my Spotify or my Apple podcasts. Yes. It's you can subscribe to it there and it comes out. I think we dropped the first episode on September the fourth, Friday the se- Friday, September the fourth. Okay, we'll mark it in the calendars. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so down for it. Thanks for letting me talk about it, guys. You're the <laughs> best. I, I was hoping we were just going to do the whole episode about it, but I guess they, maybe another time. <laughs> okay, folks, this has been Always Be Watching. We're going to get out of here. Well, thank it's you so an... much for having me, guys. It's been great. It's been fantastic. Look, it's been awesome having you. Uh, we should just do some plugs. Chris, do you have anything you need to plug in the world? No, no, I'm not doing nothing. No? <laughs> <laughs> not doing nothing? Mel, what have you got? Tell us. A country podcast coming your way on September the 4th. 
And you can find Mel on the Twitter at, at Mel Tate. At Melanie Tate. Melanie Tate. That's Melanie with an IE and a Tate with an AI in the middle. That's right. That's yeah. correct. Thank you, Dan. Uh, people can find me at Always Be Watching. I don't do anything else. I haven't got time to do anything else because there's just so much coming out from the ABW Empire. Each morning there's a daily newsletter, Monday through Friday. Friday afternoons there's another newsletter. And then I do this podcast and Chris has me now doing a second podcast where I push out TV highlights on a Friday afternoon. So I'll be recording that in a few minutes time. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the new um, the ideas guy, the business manager. This is all part of the business plan, Dan. <laughs> oh God, we're sunk. <laughs> I should tell you anyway. about my other business plans one day, but they're much yeah, worse. That's another day. Anyway, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week. And then in six weeks time, we're going to have Mel Tate back on. Yes. I can't wait. I'm going to put it in my diary right now. Yeah, do that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week.